Good. Well, I'm so aware that the time of year that we are, there's a lot to think about. There are a lot of distractions. There's, there's a lot of things that can catch our attention. And uh, I just felt it would be really good this morning for us to focus right in on Jesus. Really look at Jesus, who he is, the bigness, the greatness, the vastness of him. Because I think we know this, but it's important to remind ourselves, he was not just a baby. He was a baby. It's astonishing, it's astounding, but he was not just a baby. So I'm going to be uh, looking today at Hebrews chapters 1 and 2. I'm just going to read a couple of verses from chapter 1, but we're going to be diving in and out of Hebrews chapter 1 and 2. So hopefully, Malcolm's got his work cut out today. (laughs) I sent the verses early because there's quite a few. They'll be up on the screen, but you can track it through uh, as well. We're going to look at this great title of prophet, priest, and king. Some of you will be aware, I'm sure, but when uh, the men came from the east, the wise men, we don't know exactly, were they kings, astrologers, but they were wise men. They were seeking, they were looking. We know that it was a bit later on. Jesus was possibly about two. We don't know exactly his age, but they're coming, but they bring these gifts, don't they, of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Of course, these gifts speak of the nature of Jesus, his calling, who he was, the greatness of his godness. He was prophet, priest, and king. Now, I'm not going to go into all the gold, frankincense, and myrrh today, but those were pictures of these three great titles, prophet, priest, and king. Let's just pray. We'll come to the Lord's words. Lord, we we just thank you for the great truth of who you are. We pray this morning that as we open your word together, as we look at these great titles, only three titles of many great titles that are you, Lords, we pray, open the eyes of our heart. Open our minds. Lord, catch us up into the big picture. As we are walking through this season where we're so aware of many distractions, Lord, we, we want to come to the main thing. We want to come to the main one. We want to come to you. Speak to us. Holy Spirit, speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful words. After he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. In the past, God spoke. God has been speaking all the way since Genesis chapter 1. God is speaking 
in creation. God is speaking right the way through the Bible. God is speaking. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, many times and in various ways. God is speaking. He's a speaking God. He's not silent. He's not far off. That's what we will hear. That's what we will understand. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. God has spoken. So we know John 1, don't we? We know it well. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. The Word became flesh. The Word became flesh. God has spoken to us by his Son. So when when we think about the prophetic... We think about the prophetic gift, we think about the gift of prophecy, we think of God's heart, we think of God's nature, God's purposes being revealed. It's, we talk about it being a revelation gift, it's about revealing. Okay, the core truth of the Christian faith is we believe God speaks to us, and we believe in the prophetic gift, and it's there all the way. God is speaking through his prophets, and then we come into the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is poured out, and the New Testament says we can all prophesy, we can all speak of the good things of God, but it flows right from the start, right from the heart of a God who speaks, not distant, not far off, one who reveals himself, one who makes himself known. So this speaking God is at the heart of the Christmas message. What we need to keep remembering, this is what we're talking about, this is what is at the heart of it. Hebrews 1 verse 2, God has spoken to us by his Son. It has a name, we call it the Incarnation. The Incarnation. As Andrew Wilson puts it, it's the most outrageous, scandalous teaching anyone has ever given. Jesus Christ is so much more than a little baby lying in a manger. He is none other than Emmanuel, God with us. God become flesh. Why? Why was the perfect, holy, spotless, sinless Son of God born into this world of sin and death? Hebrews 2 verse 17 says that it had to be that way. It had to be that way. Why? Why did it have to be that way? Conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a young virgin named Mary, carried by her for nine months, Entering the world through traumatic process of human birth, wrapped in strips of cloth, laid in an animal feeding trough. Why? Hebrews 2 verse 14. Since the children, you and I, have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil, that he might free all those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not the angels he helps. Okay, This was an issue in the book of Hebrews. If we were digging into Hebrews, it's all about angels and the worship of angels and understanding angels. But the writer to the Hebrews says it's not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. Here it is, verse 17. For this reason, 
He had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way. He had to be made like us in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement, atonement for the sins of the people. So that's where we're going this morning. Why did it? It had to be this way and these are the reasons. He's our prophet. He's our high priest. He's our king. See, the children, you and I, have flesh and blood. He too shared in our humanity. He had to be made like us in every way. He had to be. Why? Our heavenly Father created us, mankind, humanity, to be in relationship with him. And it was a perfect relationship to live with him forever. But to live with him in perfect relationship forever, we also were perfect We needed to be holy and righteous because God is holy and he cannot have any sin in his presence. But humanity rebelled against God. And because of that sin, God's justice demanded a penalty, the right penalty, a righteous penalty to be paid by that humanity that had rebelled. And the penalty for sin was death. Mankind was now no longer holy, no longer righteous before God. Mankind could no longer live with God forever. Sin had caused corruption, separation, division, brokenness. There was a divide that mankind could not cross because all have sinned and all fall short of God's glory. But God's love was so great for us that he became man in Jesus. He took on humanity so that as man, he might do everything that was required, everything that was needed to be done perfectly to make us right with God. That's why Hebrews 2.17 says the incarnation had to be this way. Great book, one of my favorite books. I love to dip in. The Glory of Christ by Peter Lewis. It was a human penalty he had to bear. Therefore, it was human nature he had to acquire. The sin bearer must be a true member of the race that fell. If, apart from sin, he is not all that we are in uttermost humanity. Listen to this. He cannot perfectly represent us either in his life or death. That's why Hebrews says he had to be made this way. Otherwise, he could not represent us. Listen to this great phrase. If he does not descend to us from God, he cannot lift us up to God. John Piper, he came to our level as our shepherd. He lived with us as one of us. He walked and talked with us. He became truly one of us, one with us. He even came to smell like us. And sin stinks. Became utterly. It's astonishing. The incarnation 
is astonishing. I, I, I do want us not to lose, amongst everything, I love lights, I love the trees, I love the gifts, I love all of those things. And if you let them, they can speak to you of all of these truths. But don't lose the incredible, astonishing truth. God speaking, he had to come in this way that we might be rescued. So the whole of the Old Testament is prophetically pointing forward. It's like a great big arrow to this coming Messiah, this Saviour, Jesus Christ. Continually speaking in many times and in many ways through the great uh, characters that we see in Scripture, through many stories, finally, at its completion, at its fulfillment, he sends the Word. Okay, not a word, not a prophet, he sends the word. The one who was with God in the beginning. He sends the word. As one Bible commentator puts it, through the incarnation, God wrote himself into life. John 1.14, the word became flesh and lived for a while among us. The very best way for God to communicate to us uh, with us was for him to become one of us. Just uh, to be very relevant and up to date, if you follow the news closely, I just want to make a very clear statement. I want to stand here and declare this Jesus was not a prophet, he is the prophet. He is the prophet, he is the word of God. He's not just one of a number. He doesn't just stand in a line of, of, oh, these are are good guys. Jesus is the prophet of God. He is the word of God. He is the son of God. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who's at the Father's side, has made him known. What is God? What does God look like? Well, you see Jesus. You look at Jesus. Jesus comes, not just speaking of the Father, but as Hebrews 1.3, as we keep mentioning this, he's the exact representation of his being. John 14, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. I am in the Father And the Father is in me. Jesus reveals God to us. When we see him, we know what the God of the universe is like. We know how he thinks. We know how he talks. This is another great truth of the incarnation, that God is being revealed, the nature and heart of God. So that's why we come to our Bibles. That's why we particularly want to encourage people to to look at Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. Why? Because it's the story of Jesus, his nature, his character, how he was towards people. What he did, his attitudes and his approaches. Why do we want to get soaked in that? Because it helps us to understand the nature of God. Jesus revealed the Father. I and the Father are one. I don't want to get into the fine detail of the Trinity today, but we just need to understand these great, great truths. He's not just a baby in a feeding trough. He is Almighty God. He is the Word. Revealing the Father to us and the heart of the Father. Just a little a moment of application to, before we get on to priest and king. Just for a moment, what does this mean to us? Well, firstly, we want to be giving thanks. 
Give thanks for this amazing gift. I want to invite you to be so thankful as you reflect over these weeks. Take moments to give thanks. You're out on a walk. Just say thank you, Lord. Just keep giving thanks. But also to be reminded, God is still speaking today. God is still speaking today. He's a speaking God. Okay, Jesus is the prophet. God speaks. He speaks through his word. That's why we love the word. That's why we want to keep opening the words. He speaks by his spirit. He leads us by his Holy Spirit. God willing, in the new year, I want us to take some, some weeks to just look at life in the spirit. Not just baptism in the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but what does it mean to live by the Spirit? What does it mean to be led by the Spirit in, in, in the whole of life? To hear the voice of the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit in the workplace, with our money, in our marriages, with our families. What is life in the Spirit? The, God is speaking by His Spirit, and He's also speaking through you and I. Speaking through the body as we just prayed just now, that, that, that God is revealed to your neighbors through you. Gulp. Okay? But it's true. God is speaking through his body. And the body of Christ here on earth is you. So there is so much more that God wants to reveal to his word, uh, to his world, to this world, There are those, as as Duncan led us in prayer this morning, who don't yet know, who don't see him, who don't know him as the Son, who don't know him as the way, the truth, and the life. They don't yet know the power of the Holy Spirit at work in their life. How will they know, how will they see through Christ, through the church, through the people of God? So I just want to say over this week, next week, over these next two or three weeks, That's why our lifestyle, our speech, our marriages, our relationships, our actions are so important to think about because we are displaying Christ to the world. I I believe that this season gives us a great opportunity to display Christ to the world. Some of you will be going to the staff Christmas party this week. How will we be in that environment? Family gatherings. Some of you are going, "Uh uh-oh. How will we be in those moments? What will our attitude be? Will we find ourselves getting into gossip, talking about, you know, the latest issues at work, whatever it might be, attitudes towards colleagues or managers or those over us in some way or other? How will we speak about family members, those who are not there or those that, whatever that relationship is? Our treatment of those who are older than us, younger than us. Those who are of the opposite sex to us. How will we treat them over this season, I believe, speaks to people of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is speaking to the world today. One of the ways he does it is through you and I. Prophet, priest. Hebrews 1 verse 3, this is going to be basically a series of readings from Hebrews, okay? So really just let this soak you. Priest, Hebrews 1 verse 3, the second half, after he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. 
Okay, here's the picture of the priest providing purification for sins. Hebrews 2, verse 9. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Paul read this in the prayer meeting this morning, I believe. Now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Here's the priest. He suffered death for everyone. Chapter 2, verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Here it is, we were talking about it. So that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. That he might free all those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way. Here it is in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement, split up those big words, at one moment. That he might bring, that is separated, he might pay the price to bring back together, he might make atonement for the sins of the people. He himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Just hear that for a moment. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus. Not a word, not a prophet, the word, the speaking of God, revealed to us in the person of his son. Jesus is not also, he's not only a priest, he is the priest. He is the high priest. He is the last and greatest high priest. Again, we find the incarnation. This is the incarnation being linked right in there in verse 17. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way in order that he might become the faithful high priest. Let's just remind ourselves very, very quickly what were the priests all about? Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. Every priest selected from among men and appointed to represent them. Okay, so there we are. What is the priest doing? He's standing between God and the people. The priest comes in and stands and represents the people to God. He's standing in the gap. By the way, that's what the word intercession, one of the meanings for intercession, it means to stand in the gap. When we intercede on behalf of, the priest stands in the gap. He represents us in matters related to God, offering gifts and sacrifices in the place of. The penalty of sin? Death. But you don't have to die. Instead, an animal is going to die in your place. These animals that are dying every day in the temple, they're a picture to you. They get to die instead of you. And the priest is administering this. He's helping the people to understand. Verse 2. Such an important verse of chapter 5. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. I can't, I still, after all these years, can't get my head around Jesus, the word, being subject to weakness. But he was. But this is talking at the moment about human priests. That's why the priest has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as the sin of the people. 
Okay, so the priest is having to offer for his own sin as well as the sin of the people. Chapter 7, verse 23. Now, there were many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. They also died. Okay, they're under that judgment. They're under that penalty. Here it comes, verse 24. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Verse 25, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede, to stand in the gap for them. It's the high priest. We have a high priest, as uh, Joe wonderfully said to me just before we started, there's a man in heaven today. He's interceding, he's standing. Jesus, fully God, fully human. Verse 26, such a high priest meets our need. One is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Verse 27, unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sin, then the sins of the people. Listen to this verse. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. astonishing truth. The word, the prophet, the high priest coming in, offering sacrifices. And so God himself is the high priest, perfect and holy, standing in the gap between us. He comes and stands in the gap and then he takes himself and lays himself on the altar and becomes the sacrifice. He's the priest and he's the offering. I want us this morning to be caught up in these truths. It's not just that baby. That baby in that manger is so much more. So much more. What's the application of this? Jesus has done it all. He's done it all. About to enter a new year. Some of you possibly may already be thinking about, I want to do better. I want to do better next year. I'm, I'm just going to get through Christmas and then I'm going to put some things in place. I want to read my Bible more. I want to pray more. Please hear me. Great. That's really good. Really good. But if I say, I want to do better because then he'll love me. I want to read my Bible more because then, then maybe I'll get accepted. Jesus has done it all. He became the sacrifice. He stands. It's so good as we look. We want to look out in the new year and say, do you know, I want to get into the word. I want to pray. I want to reach out to people in a way that I haven't been doing. But we do it on the basis that Jesus has done it all. We are righteous before him. Our standing is not based on getting it better in January. It's based on this great truth that he is our high priest who's paid the price in his own blood, his own life. So Hebrews 4, verse 14, what does it say? We can approach the throne of grace with confidence. We can receive mercy and we can find grace to help us in our time of need. We don't come with any of our actions. We come because of his actions. 
because of what he's done. So prophet, priest, and king. Chapter 1, verse 8, about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. The scepter, of course, is the symbol of authority. So he's holding up this symbol of, of, of his kingship and his authority. Verse 13 of chapter 1, To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? None. Never said that to the angels. Angels are amazing beings, but they're still servants. The Son is the King who came to serve. The Son is the King who came to serve. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6, this is a quotation from Psalm chapter 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? This is what you read, Paul, wasn't it, this morning? What is man that you are mindful of him? Son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Can you just hear that for a moment? There's a lot of things to get concerned about in our world today. Things we see on the news, things we're concerned about. We need to hear the word of God sometimes and we need to let it sit right at the forefront of our thinking. God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him, but we see Jesus. So we can look and we can see and we can go, what is going on there? How is that going to end? What's going to happen there? We see Jesus. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might test death for everyone. There's so many things we could say about the kingship of Jesus. I want us to come to communion in just a moment. But I, just literally, I'm going to pull out three uh, t- tiny headings. Don't panic, this is not another three-point sermon, okay? Just little headings. He's a seated king. He's a crowned with glory. And he has feet that are raised. Okay, he's seated king. He's crowned with glory and his feet that are raised. He's seated. Okay, chapter 1, verse 3. After he had provided purification for sin, as our great high priest, as he did everything that needed to be done, what does it say? He sat down. There's a key word. Sometimes the shortest, smallest bits in the Bible are the most important. Did you realize that? Why is it important that he sat down? Why is it so important? Priests never sat down. They never sat down. Why? Because day after day, they had to keep on making sacrifices, first for the sins of themselves, then for the sins of the people. They always stood up. They did not sit down. Ever. The work was not finished. So one would get to the end of his shift, another one would come up, stand up, and they would just keep on going. Keep on going. No sacrifice was ever complete. Chapter 10, verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands um, and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the sacrifices, same sacrifices. They can never take away the sins. 
But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus, come on, John, clap. He wants to clap. I can see it. (laughs) Jesus is sat down. There is a man in heaven. He carries wounds, but he sat down. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus sat down. His work was finished. More than that, he's at the right hand of the Father. Chapter 1, verse 3, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Chapter 10, verse 12, he sat down at the right hand of God. The right hand, the place of highest and greatest honor. Verse 8 of chapter 1, it's a, it's, a place of th- it's a throne, it's a place of rule and authority, but it's eternal. It will last forever. Just as Jesus the prophet is the eternal word of God, he's the prophet, the eternal word of God, he's also the permanent high priest. There are no more need for any more sacrifices. It is finished, was his cry. It's finished. No more priests. So, similarly... His throne, his kingship, his sovereign reign and rule is also eternal. Jesus, there's no more work to be done. done. When Jesus comes back, he's coming back for a people, taking them to be with himself. But there won't be any more work to be done. There will not be any extra bits to be processed. It's finished. It's done. He sat down. When it says in Hebrews 4, verse 14, it says, we, are thrown, uh, we approach this throne of grace with confidence. What we do is we approach a seated king. As we come into the throne room, we approach a seated king. His work is finished. The battle has been fought. The victory has been won. He's reigning and he's ruling. He's crowned with glory. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. We see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. It's how we must see him. We don't just see him astonishing as it is, this baby and this animal feeding trough, but we need to be caught up in an understanding of who he is. Because as we begin to understand who he is, as we look at the baby in the feeding trough, it becomes even more astonishing. How could that possibly be? I was trying to remember that old hymn that certainly I used to sing. Was it God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man? He's a seated king. He's crowned with glory. Another great evidence of Jesus' kingly status is that he carries and displays the very person of God in all that he does. He literally radiates the glory of God. He radiates the glory of God. Hard for us to comprehend, but if Christ is in us, then as we go about our business and about our lives, the glory of God is within us. Christ is in us, and the glory of God can radiate from us. You might want to go and think about that one, (laughs) meditate, but I believe it's true. Jesus does not simply reflect God's glory. He is part of it. I am the Father. uh, I and the Father are one. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus radiates this glorious light of God. It shines and it penetrates into the darkness, the darkness of our hearts. 
Revelation 21, verse 22, this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Jesus is the Lamb of God. John said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What did John see in Revelation? The Lamb is its lamp. The nations walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. I just love this as I was digging into this and looking at this and just being reminded of this great truth. We see some of the splendor and some of the power and some of the authority of of the peoples of the world and the rulers of the world. What we need to see here in Revelation, that as they come, even if they come with their glory, they just add to the glory of the Lamb. That's what they're doing. They, they're adding. Nothing is compared. It's totally incomparable glory of great God. That as they just serve him and they just add to his glory. So, he's a seated king. He's crowned with glory. And his feet are raised. Jesus is not simply reigning as king. Not some sort of figurehead in royal robes. Sat on a throne. His face on the stamps and the coins. He reigns with authority. Quite simply, he is the supreme ruler of the universe. Chapter 1, verse 13. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? The writer of the Hebrews is describing Christ's absolute rule by using this picture from the ancient world of of battles and warfare. It was custom for the defeated king to lie flat on his face before the conquering king. To kiss the conquering king's feet and then for the victor to put his feet on the captive's neck. The captive became his footstool. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15, the apostle Paul tells us that in his victory on the cross, Jesus dethroned the powers. He disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, we, there are things in the world that we don't see in completeness yet. We, we recognize that. But as Philippians chapter 2 says, and we've been looking at that many times over this term, there's a coming a day when every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Christ to the glory of the Father. At the cross, through the resurrection, Jesus gained a victory over sin and death, and he has the right to rule everything under his feet. The entire universe is subject to the rule of Jesus. God is in control. As a a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses once pointed out to me, there is a verse in the Bible It's in my Bible because I had to check it because I didn't believe them when they first said it. It said, the whole world is in the grip of the evil one. And I thought, that's not in my Bible. And I went and got my Bible and it does say that. And it confused me for a week. I said, can you come back next week? And they said, yeah. They don't get that offer very often. And I remember I was a young, young sort of assistant pastor and I went and talked to an older friend of mine and I said, the whole world is in the grip of the enemy. 
He said, yeah, but who holds the universe in the palm of his hands? I went, oh, yeah, of course. Of course. He's seated. We don't yet fully see it, but we see Jesus. God is in control. You may look at the world. There may be things that will happen in this next week or three. Things will happen on the news and you'll go, what is going on? I, wanna, I want you to remember again as you look at that baby, I want you to see the word. The prophet. The priest. The high priest. And the king of kings. Can I invite you to stand? Seated king. Crowned with glory. His feet raised over his enemies. In obedience to the Father, he gave up his heavenly throne to come to earth and to die for us. There is a day coming when his rule as the King of kings and the Lord of lords will be visible by everyone. Just one, just felt prompted this morning as we come to communion, we just take a moment to take communion. What, what's the application again of some of this? Just hear the words of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. Listen to this verse 15. To free those who all their lives were held in slavery by fear. I recognize that when our good friend Donald Trump says the next thing he's going to say, or whatever it might be, or we... We look at other things maybe close to us. We think of our work situation or our family situation. We can find ourselves getting into fear. I want to say to you, brothers and sisters, friends this morning, in the words of the angel that comes to all of those characters across the Christmas story, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Peace. I bring to you. You may not always see that peace. We pray for it. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We we pray for peace in the world. We pray for peace in our families. Sometimes we'll see it. Sometimes we won't. But the, the word of God comes to us and says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but now I am alive forevermore. I am seated. It is finished. Do not be afraid. My feet are already already on the neck of the enemy. My feet are raised. I'm seated. My feet are raised. I hold a scepter in my hand. It speaks of my ultimate And complete authority. Do not be afraid. In fact, be filled with my spirit. Be filled with confidence. Be courageous as you share. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. As we take communion, let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. Lord, we thank you for the cross this morning. 
Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your body. Lord, help us not to get so somber, even as we contemplate the pain and suffering, that it was for the joy of being seated, of being crowned with glory, of paying the complete and utter price. It was for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me just... Malcolm, have you got the words of that hymn? Just as we take communion. Begin to take communion if you'd like to. Let me read this over us. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruin sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Guilty, vile and helpless we, spotless lamb of God was he. Full atonement. Can it be? Hallelujah. What a saviour. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished, was his cry. Now in heaven, exalted high. Hallelujah. What a saviour. When he comes, our glorious king, all his ransomed home to bring, then anew this song we'll sing. Hallelujah. What a saviour.